بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد بارك وسلم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقدة من لساني يفقهوا قولي سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا اللهم نور قلوبنا بعلمك واستعمل ابداننا لطاعتك ووفقنا لما تحب وترضى من القول والعمل والفعل والنية والهدى انك على كل شيء قدير يا وهاب يا وهاب يا وهاب يا فتاح يا فتاح يا فتاح يا جبار يا جبار يا جبار قال الله سبحانه وتعالى ولما بلغ أشده واستوى آتينا وحكم وعلم وكذلك نجزي المحسنين صدق الله العظيم Beloved brothers and sisters, dear listeners, dear students Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh We thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala most gracious, most merciful who's given you and I the health and the life and the ability to be present uh, for this week's uh, tafsir and we ask Allah Azza wa Jalla that He grants you and I istiqama and steadfastness with afiyah, with ease, with health and, and, and ability to continue to attend. And we ask Allah Azza wa Jalla that whatever we do here and share, may Allah make this a proof for us and not against us. May Allah Azza wa Jalla enable all of us to listen with the intention of practicing, speak with the intention of practicing. And then may He allow all of us to also share it uh, with the niyyah of, of spreading the deen with sincerity. And we ask Allah Azza wa Jalla that whatever issues and trials and tribulations any one of us is going through this week that this uh, meeting of ours over the verses of the Quran allows our stress to be alleviated our problems to be solved our find solutions to our issues and uh, difficulties and it becomes a, a means of rejuvenating our iman Allah Azza wa Jal mentions Regarding this, now we're moving on to the next, next aspect of the story. We, is we're doing a huge jump from the first part of the story that we've been spending the past two, three weeks on. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's fadl and grace upon the children of Yaqub alayhi salam and how they were uh, the most downtrodden and most oppressed people. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala eventually brought a change by sending Musa alayhi salatu salam. And then we, we, we spent the past week or two on speaking about the initial part of this story which speaks about the child, uh, the birth of Musa alayhi salam and how he was raised in a most miraculous manner in the palace of uh, Fir'aun. And how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed him to come back to his mother safe and sound and on top of that she was being paid for her uh, care. And so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to get something done uh, then he, no one knows the most amazing manners in which he works. In this ayah, in this next part now, we're speaking about him beco- um, becoming a young man and an incident that happens which propels him to leave the palace and move out. And so when he had reached Balagh Ashuddahu, when Musa alayhi salam reached Ashuddahu, his full maturity, and he became fully grown. We gave him prophetic wisdom, وعلم and knowledge of Allah, وكذلك نزل محسنين and thus do we reward those who excel in doing good. So some have said ashudda that uh, the male, the 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 physical quwa um, is completed at the age of you know 18, and then a person moves on to different stages of his of his life. So balagh ashudda is referring to the physical completeness of the body. And wastawa is referring to the intellectual maturity. And this is in, in the 30s. And so now a person then begins to make not only um, 
is not able to lift a lot of physical burden but is also able to lift a lot of mental burden and be able to make right decisions so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now saying that Musa alayhi salam reached that age of full physical and mental maturity then we gave him wisdom of prophethood and knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, so a person should ask himself that uh, what, is, what, what is that which we are trying to achieve what is our goal in life if a person wants to merely achieve power and strength, then you have in front of you the example of Fir'aun. And uh, that could be a person's goal. If a person wants to attain mere financial strength and wealth, then in front of him you have the example of Qarun. And a person can decide to you know, make that their goal. Obviously, hopefully a person does not have that goal. Instead, a person wants that his, um, uh, uh, his, his future should be bright. And so if we want our future to be bright, then we follow the footsteps of the uh, Prophets والسلام, And we see that although they may not have had a lot of material things, but the sense of uh, connection that they enjoyed with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is something which a person should uh, desire for. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions regarding Ibrahim kubra. Indeed, he witnessed and he saw some of the great signs of his Lord. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in Surah An-Nisa, And Allah taught you that which you did not know. And Allah's grace was huge, was eminent, was great upon you. So you see that ilm, ilm is something that is regarded as a grace and, and a gift of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wealth Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to those who He likes and those who He dislikes. Some of His gravest, greatest enemies, Allah azza wa gives them insane amounts of wealth and insane amounts of power in this world. But ilm of deen and ilm of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a gift that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reserves to His close ones. That is why the famous hadith, مَنْ يُرِدِ اللَّهُ بِهِ خَيْرًا يُفَقِّهُ فِي الدِّينِ When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intends to be good with someone, intends to do good with someone, to someone, يُفَقِّهُ فِي الدِّينِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them a deep understanding of the deen. So here, آتَيْنَا وَحُكْمًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave Musa alayhi salatu salam wisdom. And this is what you and I should be asking Allah for. Not just pure knowledge and information, but rather knowledge that is coupled with wisdom. Allah Himself says in Surah Al-Baqarah, Whomsoever has been gifted with wisdom, indeed has been given a great amount of blessing. Similarly, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you know, uh, mentions the virtues of uh, and he says, If you choose to invite towards Allah, then invite towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with wisdom and good counsel, good advice. Because inviting, inviting towards Allah, this is amazing. Who could be better than the one who invites towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? But something as even as best as invitation towards Allah, if it is, free, if it is flawed, or rather I should say, if it is if, if wisdom is absent in that da'wah Then it becomes flawed The most honorable thing Inviting towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala But if done If done without wisdom Then it can have unfortunately Very bad ramifications The Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam Mentioned in hadith Fadlul alimi al-abid 
That the, the virtue of a scholar over a non-scholar, or a, not non-scholar, abid, a worshiper, not just a non-scholar, a person who worships Allah. He's worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alhamdulillah. What's your occupation? I'm a worshiper. I'm a worshiper. Abid is someone who's worshiping Allah. The virtue of a scholar over a worshiper is like the virtue of the full beautiful moon, a full moon on the 13th to 14th night, compared to all the small stars that are, seem to be in a distant, that are very far away. Of course, they're far away, right? But they look really small because they're far away, but and the moon is what's sticking out. This is the rank that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving to a, a, a practicing scholar. Because if it isn't for his presence there, everyone's ibadah also will be wrong. He's the one who's explaining people how to, how to worship Allah properly. And if only we understood this hadith properly, every father and mother would be desirous for his son or daughter to be a scholar. But because the, the understanding of the hadith honestly is just not present. So we, we see the value in everything but ilm. Instead, studying ilm is something regarded as, uh, as, as, as uh, you know, brings down the value uh, in, within an individual. A person wants to get married, he says, okay, I'll take it anything. But as a scholar or, if, or someone who studied deen, then maybe not. Because why? Well, maybe because he, he will not know how to interact with people. Or maybe he will earn less. And so today the dunya is, is making decisions based on wealth, not on ilm. And are they, are they enjoying their married lives? Unfortunately, not. Are the marriages being are, are, you know, prosperous because they've been made on the decision of wealth and, 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 and degree? Unfortunately, not. And that is why there is one hadith, If you get a proposal from a boy whose deen and whose character you like, then get him married to her, your daughter, your granddaughter, whoever it may be. If you like someone's deen, if you like someone's character, then mm -hmm. choose him as your son-in-law. There will be great chaos on earth. Now I'm not saying that uh, every single person who apparently looks like a practicing person is actually a practicing person. Nor am I saying everyone who sits in a class all of a sudden becomes pious or righteous or God-fearing. No. You have to do your due diligence. You have to see is that is this person truly a student of knowledge? Do they truly fear Allah? Is their, their akhlaq a reflection of Rasulullah's teachings? That's true. You have to look at all that. Once, that's why Rasulullah clearly said, if you like his deen and his character, don't just look at the way he prays. Don't just look at the way he you know, serves in the masjid. That's great. But what is his character? And character you will learn through interactions. Character you will learn through traveling. Character you will learn through business dealings. And things of that sort. And then only a person realizes you know what type of individual is. Because if a person's deen and character is good, then no matter how tough times come upon the family, they will survive. But if a person's deen and character is not good, then within one month, within one week, also unfortunately things will fall apart. So this is a, a, a reminder that the status of ilm is so much that Rasulullah is saying that the comparison of, there is no comparison between a scholar and a abid, a worshiper, not a non-alim. A abid who stays and prays every day, every night in the masjid, all day. He's there till ishraq, he's there for his duha, he's there for his awabin, he's there for his tahajjud. But he's not a scholar. And on the other hand, there's a person who's a, who is a alim and who's serving the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala while of course taking care of his ibadah as well, at, the, at least at a base level. There's no comparison between the two. So every, every mom and dad should definitely aspire that their children
should be blessed with this honor. And that on the day of judgment, they will be raised as moms and dads of students of knowledge, of scholars. And just imagine how much sadaqah jariyah they'll be getting due to the efforts of their sons and daughters. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And thus we reward those who excel in doing good. Meaning, if Nabi Musa at that time was not a Nabi, if he was not a muhsin, if he did not do ihsan, if he was not on top of his game, if he was not excelling, we would not have given him wisdom and we would not have given him knowledge, we would not have given him nubuwa. But since he had ihsan within him and he was a good man, he became worthy of receiving wisdom and knowledge. So this wisdom and knowledge was a reward of his ihsan. So we understand here that everyone is not equal. In the, you know, based on you're, you are going to be treated based on your qualities. When a person wants to excel and wants to have ilm and hikmah, and he asks, he run towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah will, يَرْفَعِ Allah Himself says, Allah raises the status of those who have knowledge, amanu, those who have faith. Allah raises the status of those who have been given iman, who have been blessed with iman. And those who have been given uh, knowledge. Darajatin by many levels. By many levels. And remember, to become a student of knowledge, a person does not need to always, all of you and all of us need to pack up and say, I'm, I'm going to travel for 10 years. Some of us must do that. It's interesting. Like, you know, like we don't think about that. You know, if there is a scholar not there, who's going to perform the nikah? Who's going to lead the salah? Who's going to perform the salatul janaza? Who's going to teach you the masail of, of zakat? Who's going to teach you the masail of hajj and umrah? Who's going to teach you the masail of inheritance and what happens after death and before death? Who's going to teach you when the sajda saho is wajib, when it's not? Who's going to teach you what breaks will do and what not? Who's going to teach you what investment is permissible, what's not? All the thousands and thousands of masail. Everyone, all of us are in need of that. But we simply, our mind doesn't go that, hey, if as a community we do not dedicate people to study, where are we going to get the solutions for this? Where are we going to get the answers for this? <laughs> it seems, everyone thinks that it's not my problem. As long as I get a quick answer, immediate. Nowadays people, we have a website, right? That was some masjidds.org forward slash question. People say, no, this is too tedious. We have to type out the question. We want text, right? We want immediate text and we get an immediate response. People have complained. Some, I mean, say that, oh, this is too tedious. So that, okay, mashallah, you want quick answer. Then the only way, the only answer we have now for you is if you don't want to send your students to study, your children to study, then we have Meta. Meta will give you all the answers. You know, AI. AI Mufti. Then you don't have to, mashallah, you can keep your kids at home, you make them into other professions, and then <laughs> you'll get your questions through AI. If that's the type of future you want, which is definitely going to happen, because that's what's going to happen. People will say, no, this is not worth it. It's not worth it to send our kids to, the, to study the deen. Why should he be deprived of all that his cousins or his siblings are going through and enjoying life? Let me put him over here. It hurts every single time, every single year we have a one-year program. As you know, this is our 11th or 12th year running it. Almost every single year, the most intelligent of our students who come out first and second valid victorians of the class, they will not continue. They will decide to Say, no, he has, a, he, has a, he has a shot at getting into a very elite MD-PhD program or an MD program or a dental program or whatnot. By all means, I'm sure he does. 
What do you think? The teachers he taught them were all dropouts? Every single teacher taught him, mashallah, would honestly take the students for a ride. Alhamdulillah, they are, the teachers who teach here, are, every single one of them is a valid Victorian, extremely intelligent. And if they wanted to go elsewhere, by all means, they would have been toppers. I have absolute full confidence in that. But some sacrifice has to be made. If everyone says that no, because he's intelligent, I got to put him into the dunya, what's going to happen to our deen? What's going to happen to our deen? When you do not have, the deen does not mean money only. That's a small part of it. Big part of it is you need human resources. Deen needs people who, have for, who, who think forward, who are progressive in their thought, who, are, who have a vision, who are intelligent, who can process things at a whole different level. That's what we need. When you have even one such person, then subhanAllah, he brings so much benefit and khair to millions of people. But when you don't have that, then we all as a community suffer. So let's, you know, this life is very short, my friends, very short. Most of us are already done with 50-60% of it. Maybe even 80% of it. It's gonna, before you know it, will be over. It's not worth it just to earn a little extra. A person says, that I'm gonna deprive my family from having a scholar in my family. We have, alhamdulillah, a big push for hiv, but it doesn't cut it. It doesn't cut it. You don't wanna make your son or daughter hafiz, don't. But I encourage you to please plan from now that inshallah we will have the brightest son, the brightest daughter, send them to the deen. Every single scholar whose name you can read today in, any, in the library, they would, their name would not be in the library, their book would not be sitting on our bookshelves a thousand years later if they were not the most intelligent of people of their times. Islam and deen require quality people who have the ability to provide solutions to the most intricate of issues. As we move forward, our issues are becoming more intricate and more confusing. Much more confusing than the simple life that was there before the era of the information age, technology age, uh, you know, virtual reality age, AI age, oh subhanAllah. It's gonna become much more confusing. So the type of ulama that we need are people who have the ability to bring that professional skills, bring the, uh, you know, the Eastern and Western sciences together, and recreate an era when there was no such thing as, I referred to it, I think so, in the other talk, I'm not sure where it was, but there was no such thing as the East and the West. It was East and the East. That's what it was, right? During the era of Dar al-Hikmah and Baghdad days, that's what it, it was, East and the East. Whether it was chemistry, whether it was science, whether it was trigonometry, whether it's biology, whether it's zoology, whether it's astronomy, or whether it's ilm al-fiqh, whether it's usul al-tafsir, usul al-hadith, balagha, ilm al-kalam, whatever it was, ilm al-rijal, it was the Muslims who were leading the way. So now people say, oh, I like that. So that means let me first send him to the MD, PhD, or a JD program. And inshallah, when he's 40 years old, and he can't memorize one surf chart, we'll send him to the madrasa. Right? That's what's gonna happen. You don't start studying at the age of 40, 45 ilm, because, of course, if someone who was on that side and decides to come here, anytime, mashallah, you're 80 also, welcome. Marhaba. But someone who has the ability at a young age, the parents will always say, no, 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 let's first do that, then we come back. No, my friend, it doesn't work like that. Once you go there, there's no coming back. That's how the dunya is. Once you go that side, rarely does anyone come back on this side. But once you come here, by all means, who said you can study all you want? Once you finish your sharia program, alim program, you want to get master's, you want to get PhD, you want to get double PhD, do whatever you want. The, you know, it's a, a sky's the limit. And no one's going to stop you. But once you go on the other side, then for you to even make it for one evening Arabic class becomes so hard. A weekend fiqh class becomes so hard. We know that. We live in that reality. 
So let's not fall, fall into this delusion that deeny studies, inshallah, we will do some other time right now. Let's focus on that. My dear friends, the mistakes that fathers and mothers make they, because of their decisions, that, the mistakes they make in their decision-making process, unfortunately, centuries and generations have to suffer. Generations have to suffer because a wrong calculation of the mom and dad, first generation uh, you know, immigrants and, and children of immigrants, making wrong decisions about what is the need of the time. What is the need of time? Today, why, Yani, when you look at politics, what, tell me which branch you see isn't taken care of. You look at politics, you look at civil liberty, liberties. What are the ajeeb dunya? Right now, right before my tafsir, someone was showing me huge discussion going on. Without getting into too much detail, but it's political involvement. But now we're speaking about, as a Muslim representative, we have to be rep- representing our, our, our deen. So he said, no, when it comes to political involvement, we, you know, we, should, not, we should look at a, the litmus test should not be religion, it should be ability to succeed in politics. Even if someone is not a true Muslim, say he's a Qadiani. Yeah, you can be an eloquent Qadiani, so what? How does that, how does that further our, that is actually misleading people. When, when, when do we have these type of major flaws? And major blunders is when you do not have ilm in politics. When you don't have ilm in civil liberties. When you don't have ilm in um, social efforts. Then what's going to happen? Madrasa students who were helping in a food pantry in the past. I promise you, it's really a story happened. They come back, Sheikh, Sheikh, what are we supposed to call? But what happened? We're here helping a food pantry. Muslim food pantry. But what's going on? We are being asked to pack pork. What should we do? What a Muslim pantry is packing pork, and you have madrasa students working, helping out. This is what you call the lack of ilm. Anywhere, everywhere, you go ilm without ilm, it's not going to work, my friend. It's going to have a, you're going to have a failure without ilm. So every single department of deen and dunya requires people of knowledge, and we just simply do not have the bandwidth for that right now. We don't have enough scholars. Otherwise, every single organization out there, South Africa is a good example, where you have alhamdulillah. Lots of efforts, in even including um, uh, you know, humanitarian efforts, all the humanitarian efforts, mashallah. Then including social justice, including um, human rights, Muslim rights, advocates. Mashallah. Who is leading the effort? Ulama. Ulama leading the effort. It's, it's amazing. We saw it. We witnessed it. We were part of that. We, you know, when we take our students to visit South Africa, every year our graduating class, we get a chance to go tour these places. And it's, it's a model of what should be happening here. That we have enough scholars, but right now we cannot find Juma Khatib, right? Every, every masjid, right? every masjid in this city of Chicago, huge masjids, 3,000 people in two Jumas, but they say last minute, right? we need a Khatib. Why is that? Why do, we, why do we not have Khatibs in our masajid? It's shameful in the center of America. What is happening in other states and other cities, you can just imagine. So when we do not have the largest attendance of 3,000, 2,000 people being taken care of by a scholar, how are you going to have time for all these other efforts? So it's this food for thought for all of us as a community to see where are we making these mistakes because of which we do not have uh, you know, knowledge, uh, an ilm available in masajid and in different institutions. Khair, we are talking about how 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, I re- this is how we reward those who do excel. How did he reward them? He gave them ilm. So if you're a good man, and if you're a good woman, if you do ihsan, Allah will also reward you with what? With ilm. With ilm. That's the point we're trying to draw over here. Imam Shafi'i rahimahumullah once complained to his, his teacher, Waqi'i. Very famous students of knowledge know this poem. He said, Shakawtu ila waqi'in su'a hifdi. I complained to my teacher, Waqi'i, of my inability to memorize, my weakness in my memory. Fa'arshadani ila tarkil ma'asi. So he guided me. Arshadani ila tarkil ma'asi. So he guided me to stop sinning. And he informed me that indeed knowledge is nur. And the nur of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is never given to a disobedient person. What is he saying here? That ilm is not something you just get off of an app or a CD or a website. Ilm is actually nur of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He gives in your heart. It's a very special thing. And so in order to get this nur, not only is a person have to try for it in normal means, but also has to have a desire for Allah and away from sin. Because these two things don't meet in the heart of a believer. Sin and the nur of Allah, how is that going to work together? So knowledge of deen while involved and indulged in sins does not work. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, وَدَّخَلَ الْمَدِينَةِ عَلَى حِينِ غَفْلَةٍ مِّنْ أَهْلِهَا But before this, he entered the city of Fir'aun at a time of midday rest. When it's غَفْلَةٍ مِّنْ أَهْلِهَا When its dwellers were unaware of the activities therein. فَوَجَدَ فِيهَا رَجُلَيْنِ يَقْتَتِلَانِ Wherein he found two men fighting with each other. هَذَا مِنْ شِيَعَتِهِ One from his own people, meaning Banu Israel. وَهَذَا مِنْ عَدُوِي And one from his enemies, meaning from the Coptics, from the uh, people of Fir'aun. فَاسْتَغَاثَهُ الَّذِي مِنْ شِيَعَتِهِ عَلَى الَّذِي مِنْ عَدُوِّهِ Istagatha means to seek help. So the one who was from his own people, meaning the Bani Israeli, he sought Musa's help against the one who was his enemy. Meaning against the Coptic, against the one from the Fir'aun's uh, people. فَوَكَزَهُ Musa, So Musa struck him who was of the enemy with his fist. He struck him with his fist in his chest. فَقَضَى عَلَيْهِ And he finished him. قَالَ هَذَا مِنْ عَمَلِ الشَّيْطَانِ Musa salam then said regretfully, he said in regret, this is the doing of shaitan. إِنَّهُ عَدُوٌ مُضِلٌ مُبِينٌ He is indeed a manifest, misguiding enemy. So Musa salam then entered the capital city, Medina, capital city. Some have mentioned that this was the city called Ain Shams. And it, it, was in, it is also in Egypt. And it was the, the capital at the time of Fir'aun. When the, when the people were unaware of the activities, meaning he, was, he entered at a time of when people were sleeping. Qaylula time, siesta time. It's possible that he exited out of the palace of Fir'aun, maybe had a heated conversation with him, inviting him towards you know, something, and didn't go so well, and he said, let me just get out. So he left. And people were sleeping during that time of Qaylula. And then he found an Israeli and a Qibti fighting with each other. 
Some have said that this Qibti was a cook of, in the Fir'aun's palace. Some have said he was a carpenter. So now, when the fight broke out, the Bani Israeli said, I'm asking, he started screaming for help. Musa came and figured out, okay, this guy, he is obviously assaulting the other one. So he grabbed him. And in the process of grabbing him and pushing him away, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala willed as such that the grasp of Musa was so strong that it ended up, ended, it ended up killing this Qibti. فَقَضَى عَلَيْهِ Allah did not say فَقَتَلَهُ So he killed him. Allah said فَقَضَى عَلَيْهِ Whatever Allah willed, happened. He never of course intended to kill him. He intended to yank him away. But this was unintentionally ended up causing his death. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said he killed him, then that would be a different story. But obviously Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not say that. And Musa alayhi salam was a very well-built, strong man. And he was on top of that, you know, going to become a Nabi as well. So very strongly built. And Musa alayhi salam was a person who had a little, you know, a strong personality. He would get angry for the deen. And let me stop here for a moment. That becoming angry itself is not a problem. It's about what you're getting angry for. If a person is always angry, that's not good. If a person never gets angry, that's also not good. Instead, a person should get angry for the deen, for Allah. As Aisha radiallahu anha says, that the Prophet The Prophet never avenged himself. Never. He never took revenge for himself. Anytime that the Prophet became upset or angry, it was always for the deen. Were there times when his face turned red? Yes. Were there times that his vein popped up? Yes. Was there times that it was, he was visibly angry as though a pomegranate had been splashed on his face? The redness of a pomegranate? Yes. But was it for himself? No. So we have a misunderstanding about anger. That we think that a person may have a right to get angry if he gets cheated in business. He has a right to get angry if someone cuts him off on the street, on the road. He has a right to get angry if someone curses him and cusses him. Okay. But to get angry for the deen, people don't understand that anymore, do they? That a man is getting angry because he loves his deen. And he loves his deen the way you love your house. He loves his deen more than you love your family. He loves Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more than you love yourself. That is why when his deen is attacked, he simply cannot sit back and relax. He cannot be present watching this type of sin happening or this type of attack happening on his faith and act like as though nothing is happening. So you see, Umar radiallahu anhu, we all know Umar radiallahu anhu's status. If there were to be a prophet after me, it would have been Umar. But after he became a Muslim and after he became a Sahabi and after he became a Khalifa, did his anger tone down? His anger was still there. But it was channeled in a different direction. That he would not get angry for himself. He would only get angry for the deen. And that is something that we see today lacking in our community, in ourselves. That's what Rasulullah said. 
من أحب لله وأبغض لله وأعطى لله ومنع لله فقد استكمل الإيمان Whoever أو كما قال عليه الصلاة والسلام Whoever loves for Allah and who dislikes for Allah Whoever loves for Allah and dislikes for Allah Whoever gives for Allah and withholds for Allah His deen is complete And people just don't get it What do you mean you dislike for Allah? Yes If someone were to insult your mother, your father, your beloved wife, your beloved husband And is, is, is their open enemy How would you go sit down and enjoy a cup of coffee With your wife's sworn enemy With your husband's sworn enemy With your mom and dad's sworn enemy You can't That's called hatred for your mom Hatred for your dad Hatred for your husband and wife Well if all of those things are okay Then what about saying that I simply cannot Sit and, and, and enjoy, enjoy a meal With someone who hates Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala If it comes to dialogue If it comes to discussion of some sort If it comes to da'wah Yes, we'll sit with Abu Jahal also To give him da'wah But if it's chit-chat And simple, you know, time pass Then a person's ghayrah And a person's love for his deen Will not allow him to do that My beloved friends This, comes to, this brings us to a very important uh, Also point here That as a believer When we see Oppression happening Anywhere When there is an oppressor and an oppressed individual on a bus, on the street, in a workplace, or somewhere else, in relationships, a believer does not walk away saying, this is an issue between person A and person B. You all can go at each other, harm each other, kill each other, attack one another, destroy each other's honor. It has nothing to do with me. Because I'm not related to you. That's not how a believer is. A believer always regards himself as Allah's vicegerent on earth. That it's his job to establish justice. And he will stop oppression by his hand. If he can't do that, then by his tongue. And if he cannot do that, then at the very least, by his heart. He'll feel extremely guilty. He'll be making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to end that oppression. How many times at workplace or in school or elsewhere you see someone being oppressed someone being uh, you know bullied as a Muslim we cannot give a blind eye and walk away it just doesn't work like that as a Muslim we have to stand up if we cannot do something ourselves then we report it and we follow through my beloved friends it is our job to be with the oppressed ones and so Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam this was his position that even before prophethood, he always stood with the oppressed ones. And one, at one instance, he said, Unsur Assist your brother, regardless of whether he is an oppressor or an oppressed one. So they said, Ya Rasulullah, We understand how to help someone who is oppressed. How can we assist someone who is an oppressor? We understand assisting someone who's oppressed. How do you assist someone? How do you help someone who's an oppressor? Why would you do that? And the Prophet ﷺ said, yadehi, You grab him by using hand and stop him from his oppression. That's how you help an oppressor. By stopping him from continuing down his path of oppression. It's easy to say, I'm not going to take sides. But in reality, when you don't take sides, you're siding with the oppressor. 
That's what we talk about the grants in the world today. That the silence of those who remain silent, who are in position and power, is most definitely equal, equal to <coughs> being a partner in the aggression and oppression and genocide. So same thing applies in our own small little lives. Where you see something happening, we cannot turn the blind, give a blind, turn the blind eye. And I, I see this happening way too often. If you know something happening in your extended family, you know some vulm is happening between spouses, between parents and children, then don't stay silent. Do something about it. If you can't do something about it, then get someone involved who can do, about, do something about it. We cannot say, this is, our, this is none of our business. Allah forbid today someone else is being going through that tomorrow you know what, what goes around may come around right back to you and what, what will happen at that time I remember once I was told about a girl who had left Islam and the, 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 the message was spreading around and, and everything else and eventually the news came to me and I said well how long has this been happening how long have you been aware of it how long have you been passing on this message and they said like one month two months something like that I'm like why didn't anyone speak about this it's like oh we didn't want to we did not know how to confront or speak to the mom. We didn't want to break her heart. Oh, so you don't want to break her heart. So you know that she's left Islam and she's spreading all sorts of filth to other young girls. And you're just talking about it. I said, what, this, what if this happens to your own daughter? What would you want? You want people to respect your feelings and not come and tell you that your own son or daughter, La Qaddarullah, has left Islam and is posting these things online? This is what I'm speaking about. This so-called akhlaq is no akhlaq. This is the worst akhlaq. If you see something wrong, if you, need some, if you think someone needs help, then help them. I see this way too often. People are not willing to go and speak to each other. They'll speak behind their back. They'll speak everywhere, but will not be willing to go and directly tell that individual that this is your issue. Then why are you even speaking about it to others? So let's change our mindset brothers Let's change our mindset Let's ask Allah for strength To be able to speak the truth And to be able to establish the truth And to be able to guide people To be able to stop evil To be able to stop oppression When you see something wrong When you see something bad Someone makes an online post Someone makes a WhatsApp status Someone does something that is inappropriate Don't just sit there and say Astaghfirullah La ilaha illallah Go tell that person What are you doing? I've given you an example I, uh, many times of people for example who post inappropriate pictures you know people of, of sometimes people who have, uh, who have deen like for example what do I mean by inappropriate pictures nowadays there's people who are posting things coming out of you know Gaza for example extremely disturbing images and it, they don't, do not realize that honestly this is so disrespectful so disrespectful to the innocent child or that lady or man who has died that you are uh, uh, you know, taking a picture and posting it on your social media and you are basically erasing their identity as though you're, you know, that they have no value in the eyes of anyone. You're not in a congressional hearing sitting in front of people who are going to sign off on a multi-billion dollar uh, military package. If you're in that type of place, then yes, showing pictures on a PowerPoint may be helpful of saying that this is where your money is going. But showing that on your WhatsApp status, put your own children in that position. Honestly, put your kids in your position. Allah forbid, may Allah never allow that to happen to your kids and to my kids and to you and I. How unbelievably disrespectful and disregarding that is to take an innocent young 
Muslim's child's picture or a lady or a man and to post it on social media for some sort of shock and awe effect. What are you doing about it? What have you done? You think you have fulfilled the rights of that poor innocent murder, uh, murdered child by posting an image on your WhatsApp status? So if I see something like that, I'll tell the person, why are you doing this? Don't send this stuff to me and don't post it either. Uh, Muhammad Abbas Omar from, you know, from South Africa, who, uh, he has this uh, or, uh, website to Al Miftah. Right? Al Miftah. A L M I F T H. A L dash. He's got great articles on all different things, mashallah. We usually post his articles here in 15th night of Sha'ban and Ramadan and stuff like that. So he has a very nice article on this too, on how to deal with you know, these type of images and stuff like that. And he, he speaks about it, how this is absolutely impermissible, or rather I should say, indecent, unacceptable, and against any sense of uh, care and respect to the deceased or injured. To put yourself in a position where you, Allah forbid you're hurt and someone's coming flashing pictures of you and posting it somewhere. You would never accept that. Well, do not do this to other people. But people are doing it. Uh, are they evil people? They're not evil. They simply need a reminder. So now instead of just saying, what's wrong with this person? Remind them. Additionally, someone may post a picture of their um, husband and wife are posting a picture of uh, an affectionate picture of each other. A private picture of them enjoying a walk in the park in front of a fall, waterfall, or in front of the Kaaba. Someone posts that up on their status. Well, that's a time where if I know someone, I'll re- reach out to them and say, brother, this is absolutely not befitting for you to be posting a personal picture between you and your spouse for the world to see. This is against the chivalry and the ghayra of a man and the haya of the woman to allow something like this for the world to see. That what happens in your private space needs to stay in your private space. You love your spouse, you, they love you, good for you. But that is something that the world does not need to know about. That is something that the world should not know about, rather, about how you enjoy each company of each other. But this is where people are losing their basic sense, common sense. And they, they post, post these type of things. Similarly, people's on their uh, profile. They get newly married. They got married 15 years ago as well. Man, you've gotten old in the past 15 years, and she's gotten really old in 15 years too. But subhanAllah, the picture on the profile never gets old. Still got it from the wedding day. Right? So now everyone's got to check out, see how your wife looked like, subhanAllah, on the wedding day. You don't get a chance to see her like that anymore. It's been 15 years. All her friends get a chance to see how her hubby looks on the wedding day. They don't see how he is 15 years later. What type of nonsense is that? Right? But that's the common thing today. So why is it just because everyone's doing it, oh, he did it, I got to do it. She did it, I got to do it. But my point is, if you see something wrong, don't sit there and like, I'm not just saying it. I will actually, if you are one of my students, I will, you know, obviously message you privately and say, this is wrong. If I know you will listen to me, then I will message you. So um, this is what I'm trying to tell you is that these are things, if if you see it, correct it. If you see it, correct it. And now sometimes people will say that, Oh, you know what? Just a general talk in the masjid will be, be, suffice. Let's write a note to the khatib. How do you know that person is coming for the khutbah? And honestly, the people who are involved in these basic things like this, they, when, when you speak, they're like, wait, who are you speaking to? They think, they're looking at you speaking to someone in the back. Each person thinks that the, the talk is for someone else. You actually have to go and put your hand on the person's shoulder and says, no, 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 I'm speaking to you. This is for you. This is what we speak. And I say, oh, oh my God, I completely missed it. Didn't realize that. So we need people. 
not some people, all of us need to become among such people who not only who can stand up and correct what's wrong, but when someone corrects us, are excited to accept their critique. We are happy, alhamdulillah, that you've corrected me. Thank God, I'm appreciative. Like how many people come running, Shaykh, your lights are on. Your gas tank is open. Your car is unlocked. You're, fula, you're, you're this, that. Oh my God, you're so worried about all that stuff. But all this major sin someone's involved in. Someone doesn't know how to pray salah. Someone's satar is showing in salah. Someone is standing, qiyam with his knees exposed. He's going into sajda, his back is exposed. Hmm? Women are praying salah, nape and neck is exposed. Shoulders exposed, and all sorts of stuff. If we don't correct each other, he wasted his whole time. But he's not only praying salah like this. If he's praying like this, more than likely every salah is like this. You see him in the wudu area. He doesn't wash his ankles properly. He doesn't wear, wash his wrist properly. He doesn't make masa. Bhai, speak up, man. What are you waiting for? <clears throat> don't come and tell me about it. How does that can help? You see something in the wudu area? Go tell him and say, Bhai, this is how you make wudu. In a nice manner. Do we do this? Unfortunately, no. That's wrong. That's not how... The, simple things we're not doing. Now we're supposed, supposed to talk about big things. Big things that anytime you see a person who's being oppressed... Stand up for him and speak up. Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam, he said, Al mu'min al qawi khayrun wa ahabu ilallahi min mu'min al daif. A strong believer is far stronger, far better, or khayrun, better, wa ahab and more beloved to Allah than a weak believer. Wa fi kullin khayr, but each one of them have something good. Even a weak believer, physically weak, is also there's good in him. Ihris ala ma yanfa'uk. Be greedy over that which is going to be beneficial for you. You should, as a believer, we should always be looking for what's beneficial. Right? Go after it. Wasta'in billah and then seek the assistance of Allah in trying to achieve that. Wala ta'jaz and don't give up. Don't feel you are incapable. Instead, say, I'm incapable, but Allah is capable. And with Allah's help, I'm going to achieve anything and everything that is beneficial for me. So, part of being mu'min al qawi is that when a person has the ability to, to make a change, to make a shafa'ah, to make a intercession, go ahead and do it. That's what the Quran says. Whoever, does a, whoever makes a good intercession, he will have a share of the good that comes out. If you're able to connect two business people together, do it. Oh, what's in it for me? You're going to get ajr for that. You're able to connect a good guy and a good girl together for marriage. Go ahead and do that. You're able to connect two organizations to work together. Go ahead and do that. We have to always be seeing how can we strengthen our Muslim community? And how can we strengthen our Muslim brothers and sisters? So try to see what word, what word you can say that will have an effect. And beloved friends, those of us who are in positions of power, of some sort, we have to exercise our power for the benefit of the deen. There's a saying, يَوْمٌ مِنْ إِمَامٍ عَادِلْ أَفْضَلُ مِنْ عِبَادَةِ that I mean, it's attributed to the Prophet ﷺ in a tafsir, but I don't know the, 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 uh, the book where it's from, but it's in, I'm reading from Nabali, Tafsir Nabulusi. He says here, Yawmun Imam Adil, that a one day, one day in the uh, life of a just judge, a just judge, is better than the worship of a worshipper for 60 years. That's deep. A worshiper, he's doing his own ibadah for 60 years. But that's between him and Allah, his own ibadah. But there is a judge who is ensuring that justice is met and it's, it's, it's established. 
That one day is superior to 60 years of, 60 years of ibadah. Meaning, if you are in a position of power and you can help people and you can bring uh, the oppressor, oppressed individuals get their rights fulfilled and you can hold the oppressor account, accountable, then do not underestimate what you have. And I think that's one big problem where we have is that people who are in position of power don't recognize and realize what a responsibility we have. What a responsibility we have. <clears throat> and this we should learn from other communities. I mean, unfortunately we shouldn't have to, but fine, we should look at anyone. We learn, we learn from anyone that the level of cohesiveness and the fact that you put your differences away and you work on a common ground to help each other. So, much, so many stories come, come into my mind, but for another day. But this is something that as a Muslim community, we need to start doing that. And I know we all say that. I don't think any single person will disagree. Everyone says, brother, we need to be united. Brother, we need to help each other. I know, I can't, I can't change everyone in the room. And I can't, what I can do is I work on myself. So if every one of us says, okay, you know what? Unity starts with myself. Let me work on trying to build bridges with those who are trying to break it. Let me try to build bridges with those people who, who turn the other way, including from starting off with my own family. Alhamdulillah, then you're the building block of this unified ummah. Similarly, it would be nice to have a very strongly, well-connected uh, you know, Muslim community that works together, invest money amongst each other. That would be great. But at least now let's start with ourselves. Support, drive that extra two miles to support a Muslim business. Drive that extra few kilometers to support a Muslim business. When it comes to a, 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 any prof- service or profession or whatnot, let's see in, in an area, where can we give our money back to the Muslim community? Whether he is immediately coming to the masjid with you is a different story. But this should be the desire that at all costs, let me try to help a believer. And by helping a believer, we're helping our deen, inshallah. This is what we learned from this whole story here of Musa salam coming to the assistance of the Israeli. That's where we went on this, mashallah, nice tangent here. Is that he, he could have just walked by. But he stopped because he was asked for help. He could say, it's none of my business. <coughs> but he said, no, you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make sure you don't get oppressed like this. And he ended up dying. The other person ended up dying. So, then, uh, so now, as soon as he ended up dying, what happened? He realized that this is a mistake happened. Uh, the ulama of tafsir say, shaitan. Who is this referring to? Some say that, yes, okay, this is, he's speaking about the fact that this man died. This is from shaitan. Why did I do this? But other scholars of tafsir say that no, shaitan is not referring to the dying of that Coptic, or rather the, uh, the accident, kill, accidental killing, because Musa alayhi salam actually was not doing any zulm. He was trying to stop the fight and he ended up dying from it. Instead, Hadam and Amr shaitan is referring to the action, the original action of this Coptic, which was aggression and oppression. That he unfortunately fell to the temptation of shaitan and was beca- became an aggressor against this Isra- Israelite. And the unfortunate situation eventually led to his death. So Hada is referring to the action of the Coptic. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions 
for all of us to listen and to learn. Oh, oh, children of Adam, long ago, I already told you. Did I not make this well known? Did I not, did I not already tell you and inform you? Oh, children of Adam, that do not follow the footsteps and do not worship shaitan, because indeed he is your open enemy. And to worship me, indeed this is the straight path. So a person has a choice to either be the abd of Allah or the abd of shaitan. Allah says another place, a shaitan promises you poverty and instructs you to spend the money that you don't give in charity. He makes sure and he pushes you to spend it in evil deeds. So not only shaitan stops us from spending in good, but he doesn't let the money stay in our pocket either. He makes that money then spend where? Fuhsh. In evil, lewd acts. And there are many other verses of the Quran where Allah attributes the evil towards shaitan. So here, we are learning that when something bad happens, it's okay to attribute it to shaitan. The purpose of it is not to take away the blame from anyone. It's rather, this is the etiquette with Allah that you do not attribute evil towards Him. Oh, every single happy, every single thing, every single thing happens with the permission of Allah. We know that, but it is against the etiquette to attribute evil towards Allah. You attribute it to Shaitan, and Shaitan is a creation of Allah. So at the end of the day, it happened with the permission of Allah, but it's not correct, or rather, it's against etiquette to attribute these things towards Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. You bring a buffer, you bring Shaitan in the middle, and so Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, He already told us that. Shaitan will try to deceive you. He's adu, he's your enemy, number one. Number two, mudillun, he is going to try to misguide you. And number three, mubinun, he is clear, manifest, and open. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says he's open. But they say the biggest trick that the Satan played upon us is to make us believe he doesn't exist. The biggest trick he played on us is to make us believe he doesn't exist. So he's very apparent. But then he plays with such waswasa and whispers in our mind that he makes us hate everyone except him. Think about that. All the bad things that happen in our life, we're ready to blame him and her. Him and every single person. But we're never able to say, you know what? I hate you, shaitan. I'm never going to worship you again. I'm never going to listen to you. I'm never going to listen to your whispers. No, you won't say it. You'll say, I hate my wife. I hate my husband. I hate my this one. I hate my that one. I hate my ex. I hate... You hate every single person under the sun. But what about you say, I hate shaitan. The one Allah wants you to hate. Not one, not two, not three. Multiple places in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He is your open enemy. Regard him as your enemy. Hate him. But a person is willing to hate every single person. Break ties with every single person except for shaitan. So what happens today? You get angry with someone. So I hate you. And you leave him or whatever. And then you go on your phone and do stupid things. Now one you suppose you take that phone, you're supposed to throw it away. He said, I'm so upset. I'm gonna do fresh wudu and I'm gonna drive to the masjid and go sit in the front, soft, pick up Quran and recite Quran, and I am gonna pray two rakat salah and cry in the front row, and I am going to extinguish this evil shaitan from me. Instead, what happens? When people get angry, what do they do? They sin. Someone go to drugs, someone go to smoking, someone go to vaping, some go to e-cigarettes, some go to weed, some go to drinking, some go to zina, some go to watching this haram, listening to haram. 
Think about all the things that people do when they get angry. Is they basically go worship shaitan. That's it. Mission accomplished. He's the one who caused a fight between you and your spouse, between you and your children, between your children and between the children and the parents, between you and your business partner, between you and your boss. He's the one who came there and caused all of that. But instead of taking out your anger on him, you're taking out your anger against everyone and you are now becoming cuddling up to shaitan by sinning. Wow. How intelligent, smart this khabis is. That is evil shaitan. That's why you can never outdo him. You can never outdo him. May Allah protect us. That is why you've heard me probably say before that there's no dua in the Quran, no dua in the sunnah that says, Oh Allah, kill shaitan, destroy shaitan, break him into pieces, cut him into pieces. There's no such dua like this. Because that is not meant to happen in this world. Shaitan is invincible and invisible in this world. In this world, by the will of Allah. Invincible, invisible. The only way to beat him is to simply hide behind Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's it. You have no other way. If you come face to face, you'll never win. The only way he says, A'udhu billahi min shaitan rajeem. I seek Allah's protection. Ya Allah, you come between me and him. Then that's it. He, can't, he cannot do anything. Because at the end of the day, he is one small little peon in the army of Allah. Who created him? Allah. Think, I know we don't usually think about it like that. At the end of the day, from Dajjal to Shaitan, Iblis, all of these are part of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation. And the only way that can keep, the only being who has the power to keep Allah's creation away from us is Allah Himself. So, shaitan is something I think we need to memorize. When we make mistakes, blame the shaitan and show your enmity to shaitan by repenting. By coming towards Allah. By involving yourself, indulging yourself in, in excessive dhikr, dua, salawat, istighfar, sadaqah. And stop hating on people. And this is where we, we talk about so routinely. Everyone has is, is got so much hatred against one another. And the one we're supposed to hate, unfortunately, we're cuddling up with them. May Allah guide us. May Allah, Allah allow us to see right from wrong. Allow us to see the plots and the plans of shaitan from miles ahead. Allow him to become, you know, not absolutely transparent in front of us. And his plots absolutely transparent in front of us. And then may he then, from his infinite mercy, protect every single one of us. Right? Amin Rabbil Alameen. Qala Rabbi inni dhalamta nafsi. Musa salam then said, Oh Allah, I have oppressed myself. Indeed, I've wronged myself. This is the humility of a prophet. Imagine the humility of all of us we need to have. Whenever we make mistakes, even if it's unintentional, mistake, but we do not try to come up with excuses. We simply say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. That's it. The, uh, our Ustad would tell us, that when you make a mistake and you argue back, then this is uh, the way Iblis did. And when you don't argue back, this is what Adam Islam did. Adam made a mistake, Iblis made a mistake. Adam said, Rabbana dhalamna anfusana. Oh Allah, we have oppressed ourselves. Husband and wife, Ya Allah, we have done oppression on ourselves. Faghfir lana, so please forgive us. Oh Allah, if you don't forgive us, lanakunanna mil khasirin. Most definitely we'll be from amongst the losers. And when he came to Iblis, he started acting smart with Allah. And he said, Actually, I, there's a reason why I didn't do sajda. There's a reason. You just don't know the reason. And the, you know, Allah, 
What are you talking about? He says, no, I've been created from fire. He's been, all this other logic, bro. You see this today very common in the children. Very common amongst youth is that they always have an excuse for every single thing, an explanation for every single thing. And so many times I tell the students that this is one thing that we need to seek protection Allah from and work on. If you have a habit of always having an explanation for everything, that's something you need to work on. Because this is you're walking on the footsteps of shaitan. Don't do that. If you catch yourself always giving an explanation for why you do what you do, you're not being smart. You're being foolish like Iblis. This is not the right move. Ask forgiveness from Allah. Ask Allah to give you self-control. So that even if you start wanting to say something, bite your tongue. Hold back. You have a reason, don't say it. Just keep quiet. But you say, but what if I was wrong? What if I was yani, wronged and I was not? I said, okay, relax. You can say it 10 minutes later. Say it 20 minutes later. Say it an hour later. Say it, don't say it now. Just learn how to control yourself and not have this knee-jerk reaction every single time. Someone says, no, but, but this was the reason. You might have a reason. Say it afterwards, a day later, if there was. If there was, once in a while. And if it's a small petty issue, don't even explain it. Just move on. You don't need to explain yourself. And alhamdulillah, these are interesting you know, interactions we have with our students. <laughs> and so we learn and we teach and we learn. We hope we, I learn and all of us learn from that. But the fact that even apologizing and saying, you know what, asalme, the reality of what happened yesterday, there's some, some people come do that. Every single thing they want to come the next day and explain. And say, I just don't want to be disrespectful. I said, this is the greatest disrespect you're doing. This is more disrespectful than that is what you're doing right now. That you have to say that as though every single thing of mine has to be calculated. There's no way I could be making a, a, a mistake. Because I'm free of mistakes. So let me just sit down and tell you why I did, why I picked up the glass like this, and why I, I picked up my phone like that. We don't need to know that. We're humans, man. We're all filled with flaws and mistakes. Move on. Right? So these are things that we learn in madrasa, honestly. Right? These are things you learn in the tarbiyah of your teachers. Um, that we are, we, we are blessed to have, you know, uh, spend time with our parents and our teachers where they taught us these things. But the one, what is that? Is that when a mistake happens, don't, do not try to give excuses. Valam to nafsi. Ya Allah, I've, I've, I've done a mistake. Faghfirli, so forgive me. Faghfaralahu, so Allah forgave him. Done. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave him. Innahu al ghafur rahim. Indeed, of course. Why would he not forgive him? He's all forgiving. And mercy giving. That is his job. Then he said, Oh Allah, because of all that which you have graced me with, I will never be a assist. Zahar means your back. Zahir means assistant. I, he got my back. I got your back. Right? That's where this is. Zahir means assistant. I will never be an assistant of the defiant unbelievers. Right? So, how do you assist? You don't have to assist only with your um, with your hand. You could assist someone with your pen. You could assist someone with a, opening up the door for them. Yani you do not participate in assisting anyone in the least part of sin. Even holding on to a secret of a sinner who's trying to harm someone. I mean, of course, that type. Now that you're being a, you're being part of that. Uh, party. That's when Nabi sallallahu alaihi when he spoke ill about when he spoke the hurma and the 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 prohibition of riba and interest. He spoke about not only the one who gives interest, the one who takes interest, but he also talked about the one who writes it, who writes a contract, and the one who is present and witnessing that contract as well. Right, all of that because you are being uh, a partner in crime. 
فأصبح في المدينة خائفا موسى عليه السلام thus by morning became fearful and weary in the streets of the city يترقب he's waiting right what's gonna happen is Fir'aun gonna send out his army after me to catch me so we learn from here is that خوف from خوف natural fear of repercussions in this world is not against your iman there are two types of fear one type of fear that Allah places in a disbeliever's heart as a punishment and the other type of fear which even the awliya and friends of Allah have and even prophets have which is a reason for their tarbiyah and their taraqi for their upliftment let me explain that like Rasulullah said نُسِرْتُ بِالرَّعْبِ مَسِيرَةَ شَهْرٍ I've been assisted by awe at a distance of one month's travel meaning if a person with bad intention were to make his way towards the Prophet ﷺ to harm him, he would start feeling uneasy from a distance of a month's travel. And what is that? That's the, what happens to a disbeliever. Similarly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, سَنُلْقِي فِي قُلُوبِ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا الرُّعْبَ بِمَا أَشْرَكُوا بِاللَّهِ Soon we shall place ru'ab and awe into the hearts of the disbelievers because of the shirk that they have done. So this is the fear that comes out of a, a source of punishment. And the other fear is what creates taraqi, which creates you know, a, a, an opportunity for growth. What happens when a person is afraid of his creditors coming after him? What happens when a person is afraid of some other situation? He runs to the masjid. He starts praying two rakat salat al-hajjah. He starts waking up for tahajjud. Right? He starts giving sadaqah. MashaAllah. So much benefit happens when there's fear. You're afraid of getting sick or someone in your family is sick. It prompts you to do and promotes you to do and encourages you to do so much good. So this fear is actually beneficial. So there are two types of fear. One fear that comes as a punishment to the sinners and the disbelievers. And one fear even may come to the prophets and the awliya which is actually beneficial. So Musa salam's fear is part of that fear which is beneficial and it is does not go against a person's reliance upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he was just afraid Firaun's gonna find out all of a sudden history repeats itself the one the man who sought his help the uh, Israeli he began to cry out again for help istasrakha means to scream قَالَ لَهُ مُوسَى إِنَّكَ لَغَوِيٌ مُبِينٌ Musa alayhi salam said to him, Indeed, you are clearly a most quarrelsome fellow. So I want to take a point, a minute here and reflect here something. That if there's an individual who every single day someone's got a problem with him, more than likely the problem is with that individual. There are individuals like that who say, the whole community hates me. The whole family hates me. No, you know, and he will badmouth and do wholesale ghiba against the whole masjid against the whole community. Not realizing that how is it possible that he has, that everyone has a problem with him and that everyone else is wrong except for him. So if you and I are one of those people that you have a hundred enemies and one friend, <laughs> that's not how the world is supposed to be like, by the way. Maybe we need a moment of reflection. Look in the mirror and see what's going on. Maybe, just maybe, there's something wrong with my own character because of which so many people have a problem with me. So here you have Musa alayhi salam saying, how could you be in second day in a row in a fight? (laughs) 
you are, you are just love to quarrel. But at the, okay, we know you love to quarrel, but I don't want you to get like two, three black eyes either, right? I don't want you to get bruised up. So he intended to still protect him from the aggressor. Because you're quarrelsome, you're, you, don't, you don't know how to get along with people, but I don't want you to get beat up. So when Musa intended again, Batasha to grab, to, uh, uh, to push away, and here translated assault, that's a bit harsh word, but to assault the one who has an enemy to both of them, meaning, again the Coptic, قال, the enemy said, Ya Musa, O Musa, do you intend to kill me as you have killed a person only just yesterday? How did he find out? Some say, I mean, the news just spread because the, the Israeli was so happy. Alhamdulillah, Musa came, you know, this guy, whoever he is, Moses, came to help me out. And because of me, one, one enemy went down. So he put in and probably told his friends and told his relatives and the news spread. They're living in one society. So everyone want to know who, who, who committed that, who committed that, you know, who killed that person intentionally, unintentionally, but you know, they may have classified that as a murder. Said, well, it was Moses, Musa. So he said, are you going to kill me just like you killed someone yesterday? You seriously, you don't want to bring people together. You want merely to become a tyrant in the land. And you do not want to become one of those who do righteousness. So he said, that you are, you know, just becoming a source of problem here, etc., etc. So Musa salam realized that, okay, now things are very not safe at all. The news is spreading. There's one interesting uh, saying I'll share with you here. That, it's a, it's, it's a saying that, Subhanallah. When the one who knows me becomes disobedient against me, then I will give the one who doesn't know me power over the one who knows me. What does that mean? Jo mujhe janta ho, wo meri nafarmani kare, to put me ushakko jo mujhe name janta ho, mujh pe iman nahi lata ho, nahi lata hai, usko pir me kabu kabza de deta hai is admi par. Yani, musalman jab namunasib harkatin karta hai, Allah ki nafarmani karta hai, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, kafir kospar, taqad de deta hai. So the one who doesn't, who knows Allah, yani a Muslim, when he begins to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows, you, you know me, and yet you disobey me. Like your son, when a son disobeys the father, and a neighbor's son disobeys the father, two different things. So when your own son does that, that is far worse than the neighbor's son. And imagine then, the neighbor's son goes at, you know, a fight in the, in the front yard with the son. He said, forget this kid, man. I don't want him. Right? He, should get, he, should, he needs to learn a lesson Get whipped by the neighbor's son Because he has no respect for his dad For example So similarly Sometimes you'll see In this story of the, of the Israeli Maybe he was honestly just a very disobedient servant of Allah So two days in a row he got beaten up by Coptic And unfortunately that's exactly what's happening to the Muslim Ummah today How can we deny that? That the Muslim Ummah generally speaking Has turned their backs to the deen, to the sharia, to the sunnah of the Prophet and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as he says there's different ways of punishment and one of the ways of punishment Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Allah says there's multiple ways of punishing you and one of them is one is natural disasters but the other one is to make you into groups Shia 
to Shia means groups. This is ayah 65 of Surah Al-An'am. قُلْ وَالْقَادِرِ Say, Allah is all capable. عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَبْعَثَ عَلَيْكُمْ To send upon you عَذَابًا A punishment مِنْ فَوْقِكُمْ From above you أو مِنْ تَحْتِ أَرَجُلِكُمْ Or from below your feet أو يَلْبِسَكُمْ شِيَعًا Or to make you into groups وَيُذِيقَ بَعْضَكُمْ بَأْسَ بَعْضٍ And make you fight against one another Nah, he didn't say make you fight one another Make you ذَاقَيْذُكُمْ Means to taste Make you taste each other's might So falling into civil war Is a type of punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Civil war within Muslims or war from outside of Muslims attacking, yani outside of the Muslim community attacking the Muslims. Clearly from the Quran. Allah Azza wa says this is part of the punishment of Allah He is capable of doing. So possibly this is what this person was doing and Allah Azza wa two days in a row had him beat, get beaten up by a, um, a member of the Coptics or from the Firaun's family. You don't try, you are not trying to uh, do be, do, to do any righteous, uh, righteousness. So, Then there came a man from the furthest part of the city. Some say that this was a cousin of Fir'aun, a Muslim. Others say this is referring to what Allah, who Allah speaks about in the 24th Jews, Surah Al-Mu'min. Yeah? Allah says, وَقَالَ رَجُلٌ مُؤْمِنٌ مِّنْ آلِ فِرْعَوْنَ يَكْتُمُ إِيمَانَهُ أَتَقْتُلُونَ رَجُلًا أَنْ يَقُولَ رَبِّيَ اللَّهُ He's known as Mu'minu Ali Fir'aun, the believer. That one, subhanAllah. This whole surah is called Suratul Mu'min. The Mu'min, the believer. And it's referring to one believer from the family of Fir'aun, from the people of Fir'aun. Can you imagine that? His status. Right? So that's why when you follow the deen in a non-Muslim country, when it's not conducive, inshallah, your ajr and reward will be extremely great. When it's not conducive to follow the deen and you're following it in a university campus and college and in high school and in, in, a, in a big company, no one's following the deen. But you are a principled Muslim. You follow your deen, you wear it wherever you go. Inshallah, your ajr is going to be great. So here is a mu'min from the people of Fir'aun. He's the whole surah is named after him, the 24 Jews. Suratul Mu'min. We don't know his name. It's a mu'min out of Fir'aun, the believer. So it's possibly him who comes running from the other end of the city, rushing. And he says, Qala ya Musa. And he says, O oh Musa, inna al-mala'a, indeed the assembly of the nobles of Egypt, meaning the, the, the king's uh, nobles and the king's viziers, they're all, I have heard about you, what has happened. And they're all, ya'tamiruna, they are conspiring. I'tamara ya'tamiru means conspiring. Now if Musa deserved death, or rather I should say, if Musa alayhi salam deserved punishment because he actually committed a murder, Quran would not call it ya'tamiruna. Ya'tamiruna means plot and conspire. If you are making sure justice is met, you don't call that conspire, conspiracy. Get it? Conspiracy is when zulm is happening, when oppression is happening. So we know that this is definitely oppression that they were doing. Meaning, Musa did not deserve to get punished because he did not intentionally kill that individual. So the assembly of the nobles of Egypt are conspiring against you, liyaktuluka, to kill you. So فخرج, so depart at once from this land. I'm telling you, okay, why should you listen to me? Inni laka min I am indeed one of those who sincerely mean you well. I am your well-wisher. So I'm just, just trust me on this. Just go from here. فخرج منها خائفاً يترقب. So at once he departed from it. خائفاً, fearful. يترقب, wary, and again, 
what's going to happen? He was already weary the first day after the death. Now, when this person came and spoke to him, he, he left. What do we learn from here? That dear boys and girls and youth, listen very attentively to what I'm saying. Taking precautions and taking the advice from those who give you advice is not against reliance upon Allah. It's not being cowardly. Just like Nabi Wasallam in Hijrah spent three days in Ghar Thawr and took shelter there, hiding, yeah. But that is not against Nubuwa. That is part of the wisdom of a believer. Wisdom of a prophet. So when someone comes and gives you and I advice about something, it is not against your belief and reliance upon Allah to put that belief into action and change the way you may be saying something or doing something or acting in a certain manner. He could have said, no, I'm, I, why should I be afraid? I'm going to stay right here under Fir'aun's palace and that's it. So my dear brothers, lots of people today make foolish mistakes. And because of that, not only do they suffer, they make the whole town suffer. They make the whole ummah suffer. They make the whole tribe suffer. Nabi Musa could have said that. I am not, I am a good person. Did I do anything wrong? Did he do anything wrong? No. So if I don't do anything wrong, I'm staying here. Well, guess what? The world would never be the same if he stayed there. They would have taken him and they would have killed him and game over. We wouldn't be reading this. <laughs> the world would be, we don't even know how, what the world would be if Musa was killed. You follow what I'm saying? He left only to come back as a victor. Things take time. You can't say, no, right now, I want victory. And I didn't do anything wrong. And today, there's a lot of youth who are doing that. Uh, what do I, what, if I'm going to lose my job by protesting, sure, I'll do it. If I'm going to lose my degree, I'll do it. That's not a smart move. Honestly, the smart move is you make it for Fajr, make it for Isha, for 40 days in a row, and then mashallah, that's a great move. You fast Mondays and Thursdays, that's a great move. Give 10%, 15% of your income in sadaqah, that's a great move. Be respectful and caring, loving, and listen to your parents and your elders, that's a great move. Become a student of knowledge, that's a great move. Begin to write letters and become politically involved uh, into the best of your ability and uh, get youth and recruit them from university and say, hey, we'll have a phone bank and we're gonna start calling and we have food arranged and we'll, we'll pay you for your time as well, that's a good move. But to say, no, I am gonna show my excitement and jazba that I don't care, I'm fearless. It's not that you're fearless, you're foolish. That's what it is. Musa alayhi salam, don't tell me you've got more taqwa, tahara, tawakkul, and strength than Musa. But Musa alayhi salam decided, uh-uh, it's not the time to stay around, let me go. He took the advice, and he left. And mashallah, how did his amazing life change after that, which we, I was thinking if we're going to get into it today, but no, I want to spend a lot of good time on, on that aspect of, of his interactions with the daughters of Shu'aib, uh, and Haya, and so forth. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that next week, inshallah. But, um, it's just something amazing to think about. That, uh, that today, the youth need to realize, that the, or not just youth, other things that it's not worth it for you to lose your job. Do you, have you been following the news? Can you imagine the most prestigious universities of the entire world? People will do anything. They will lick the floor clean to get into these universities. And the, the leadership, who could be more powerful than that? From the president to not only the, 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 not only the president, but some of the most powerful board members had to resign. Simply because, who's, simply because not being 
being 99% politically correct, not 100% politically correct. Get it? Just be 99%. That 1% of not being politically correct made them lose their jobs or made them lose their position. If it can happen to them, those that, you know, subhanAllah, like, I, I mean, I don't know, none of us can even, we're, we're, we're 200 years away, probably 100 years away from becoming the president of one of the most, not one of the most coveted universities of the world. We're very far away from that. Very, 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 very far away from that. But if they can lose a job, now you understand what we're dealing with. So now is the time to act in a very, uh, uh, you know, smart and intelligent, measured manner. The moves that we make. Every single thing has to be done in a very, uh, you know, measured manner. You guys get what I'm saying? And through mashwara, through advice, through all sorts of things, we have to, we have to figure out what is the next best step. But if we make, if we make foolish steps, and, and my advice to people who are getting extreme, if you know someone who's all worked up, and every single day he watches videos, and he's, he's sending you those videos every day, I request you to go visit him. Because this is leading to people to depression, and it's leading people to uncontrollable anger. And they do not have deen with them. They don't have sunnah with them. They don't have mentors. And so this depression, and this anger is a very dangerous mix. When you feel that you're cornered, and you can't do anything, and you are hit rock bottom, and nothing can, nothing can change, and, and there's nothing can even possibly get worse, and you feel hopeless, helpless, angry, depressed, that's a very dangerous cocktail. So what that person can do, subhanAllah, is something that he doesn't only harm himself, he will harm millions of people for decades to come. So if you know anyone who is going through a melt, meltdown, who is going through anger, who is, go, who is constantly messaging 2 a.m. videos to you, I encourage you to immediately seek help for that person. If you don't know how to help that person, then reach out to people who can help those type of people. But if you let these things slip and slide, then I fear we may end up in a very big situation, far worse than we are in today. And we will, we will never even think that we're in today was a problem. Honestly, I'm telling you that. What may come will be so challenging, so difficult, that we will lose our hair, Allah forbid, in one day. Thinking, how do we get out? How in the world are we ever going to get out of this mess? And that is, is, is always worrying me right now. Because I know people who are married with kids and who, have, who are professionals in their fields, mashallah, and everything else. But they're having meltdowns. And they are calling and crying for half an hour and whatnot. I cannot imagine the 19, 20-year-old youth who don't have proper social circles, who are just online all day, uh, living in a virtual world, and all they do is watch and read and read and uh, watch and hear stuff. And they have no mentor no spiritual direction, no connection to any masjid uh, properly. My beloved friends, what's going to happen to them? So if you know anyone, if you see it, please immediately go meet that person. Speak to him. Bring him to the masjid here. Connect him with us. And, uh, you know, we'll try our best to help. Otherwise, uh, you know, if we, if we let these type of things slip and slide, then as I said once again, I'm repeating, that uh, the harm that may happen will be unfortunately very dangerous. I think al-aqlu takfil ishara. The person who's intelligent, he will understand what I'm referring to. 
And we hope Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects us from this type of evil happening. So, um, from ayah number 22, inshallah, we'll begin um, next week. For today's questions, uh, you can scan the uh, QR code and or enter 408-6832 at slido.com. 4086832 or scan the code slido.com. Here's a few other announcements, inshallah. We have just about 10 days left for our winter intensive, uh, inshallah, which will start uh, Saturday, December 23rd to December 25th. And uh, we have, alhamdulillah, great topics. I spoke, I touched upon riba. I just gave it an example. So riba, as well as um, Eid, Zabiha, um, Islam in, in the workspace, workplace rather, uh, medicine as a case study, Sharia financing, Sharia compliant financing, earning, investing, um, contextualizing of Islamic law in this country, spousal support in child custody, uh, historical origins of controversy of bid'ah versus sunnah. Lots of important discussions will be taking place December 23rd to 25th. Please register for it today at masjidds.org. Um, and additionally, we'll have a youth program, parallel youth program, and babysitting. And this program is for both men and women. And the classes will be offered online as well. So please do um, register for that online at masjidds.org. Uh, additionally, we have, alhamdulillah, continue. If, you do not, if you're here first time, you can scan the QR code to join our WhatsApp group to receive messages and updates of all of our programs. Um, and for, uh, every Saturday we have our post-fajr, uh, uh, post-fajr uh, team fajr, alhamdulillah. So if you are, uh, would like to sponsor one of them, there is a sign-up sheet outside. Please do sign up for that for the next, I think we're, we've got openings in January. And then we have, alhamdulillah, the Dar es Salaam calendars, 2020, uh, 2024 calendars, Gregorian and Islamic calendar, uh, calendars out. Uh, for, we didn't do it last year. We have a print this year. So um, please take some on the way out. They are complimentary, but they have cost us, as always, they cost money to print. Approximately, approximately $9,000. So I encourage brothers and sisters who are listening to me here, if you want to support uh, this effort, please, whatever you can give, a hundred a month, a thousand a one time, or whatever you can to support, to cover up this cost of the, of the calendar printing. Alhamdulillah, it's a great way to bring people towards the deen. It's ad-free. We don't use it to make money. It's pure, clean uh, calendar that's got, um, you know, uh, programs of the entire year already placed out. So you know, you can schedule literally next December, mashallah. What dates are the winter intensive is there. Next year's fundraiser, what date is everything is there for the whole year. So it's a great way for us to have everything organized. Um, and it's a great pictures as well. All of you, um, mashallah, have seen it. So I request you, if you have the capacity to support the cost of it, please do uh, zell at donate.masjidds.org or um, give it in cash, check, or whatever it may be, inshallah. All right, let's get some questions. Can the brothers move up a little bit, please? If I know, uh, can, a, uh, okay. can a female dentist check me up? Yani, if there's many male, I guess a male is asking, so a male should have a male check because there's, you know, that close, um, it's just too close when you're in that type of situation, especially when you have female, a male dentist available. Um, you said posting images and videos regarding Gaza. What about posting for awareness? How do, you be, how do people become aware of the situation? In order to become aware of the situation, you do not have to post. Um, uh, gory things 
You can, you can, it's something that is inspirational. Something that really is heart-touching about the iman of the people over there. And those type of things are fine. You know, but things that are just absolutely horrific and uh, you know, decapitated heads, crushed legs, you know, I mean, for what? Which, which, which decency would allow you to do something like that? You mentioned correcting others. The majority of the times people get offended when I try to correct them. How do I correct others without offending them? Well, there's, this is where we, the hikmah part comes in. We talk about hikmah today, right? Hikmah, you have to have hikmah. So part of the hikmah is um, run it by someone. Why don't you run it by someone to say, I see this, a mistake happening. I intend to correct him in this manner. What do you think? Instead of correcting someone and then saying, oh, he got upset. Maybe if this keeps on happening, more than likely you don't know how to correct people. So then, find out. Run it by a teacher, an elder, to say, this is a situation, how do I go about doing that? Do you have to correct your mom and dad? No, you don't. There's only very few instances where a person may need to do that. But that also needs to be done in the most appropriate manner filled with etiquette. So I would suggest that we learn what is the proper way of doing it. There are many things to keep in mind. One of that, of course, is do it softly. Do it in a, in a, a uh, quiet manner. Don't, don't blow it up in a person's face. Um, preface it with saying, may I share with you something that I noticed? If you think it's, if you think it's worth sharing, I'll share with you if you're open to it. Um, preface it with saying, we all make mistakes and I'm in need of your corrections as much as well. So if I make a mistake, please do tell me as well. And I've said sometimes you might just leave an anonymous note by a person's desk, by a person's shoes, behind a person's salah when he's praying. Just leave it there by his phone. That's another way of doing that. Should we drink water by sitting down? If we do, why do masajid have water fountain? Really curious. Yeah, masajid have water fountain is true. A person's sunnah definitely is to drink is there, but it is also permissible to stand and drink. Although, I'm, I'm, alhamdulillah, if you got one thing down that you sit and drink, I'm not going to say just make a habit of standing and drinking, but there are times where it is permissible to stand and drink as well. However, a person should use a water bottle, fill up, use a water fountain for a water bottle, and if you have to drink a lot, that's what you should do. And now, mashallah, alhamdulillah, I don't know who, some anonymous brother brought some nice, beautiful uh, bowls. And that's actually the sunnah method of drinking, is the Prophet used to drink in a bowl. So may Allah reward that person, I don't know who that is, but he brought that, so that is something, alhamdulillah, you can use. Musa salam did not kill the mu'min. No. The mu'min came and told him, possibly the person who came running from the other end of the town was the mu'min, possibly. Or as I said, uh, you know, some other person who came and said that the people are plotting against you, you need to run out of here, run out of town. Huh? Yes, well-wisher Muslims. How to tell your parents that you, become, you want to become a student of knowledge? Well, one way to do is that you start part-time. You start attending classes in the evenings, on the weekends, without, without having to leave. Then you start your week of summers. Winter is coming. Use your free time. Winter time, summer time, breaks. Whenever you have breaks, start studying at that time. When, when they'll see the change within you and your own character development, then inshallah, that's one extra reason for them to be motivated to allow you to come study beyond that. Person going for Umrah without a group. I was wondering if you're familiar with any resources that would be good. I would first suggest that you try your best to make sure you um, go with a group. If you cannot afford to go with the group, then at least uh, make sure you f- fly at a time when there is a group also going and match up with the group. Your timings. 
and attend the dharus and the lessons of, of the scholars who are going in a group and meet the ulama in Medina in Mecca. You can reach out to me. I can give you some numbers over there. But to go there first time or even tenth time without a group is, is, may not be the best thing. <laughs> and um, subhanallah, you know, I've been, I've been telling this to many students and many people, many of the community people that sometimes people will say, I've been, to, I've been to Umrah so many times, man, nothing has changed. So what's the point of me going again? And I say, well, the big reason is because you have not gone with either group or you've gone with a group that wasn't the best. And in a group, if you have a proper mentor, then he will ensure that he focuses on, and on you working on you getting rid of your bad habits and repenting. That's what you're supposed to do in Umrah. You're supposed to hit the iron when it's hot. If a person does not make Tawbah in Umrah and Hajj, when he's going to make Tawbah? And so the issue why people are coming back from Umrah unchanged is because they seriously are not repenting from their major and minor sins while they're there. And coming up with a game plan on how they're going to change because that's part of Tawbah. So this is why it's so important to make sure that you, do, you spend your time properly when you're out in Umrah there. Um, resources on our Darussalam YouTube channel, you'll have uh, Hajj and Umrah, um, uh, uh, what's this called? Presentations, seminars. There are many like those uh, available throughout, you know, different. There we have a Hajj and Umrah package downstairs in the bookstall. You can pick it up from there as well. Um, that's got all the different methods of, uh, you know, things to keep in mind, the fiqhi rulings, the du'as, and so forth. So you can pick that up as well. Inshallah, I'll be leaving on Bidhillahi Ta'ala with Allah's uh, grace at the end of the month. So if anyone wants to join us, December 28th, Inshallah, uh, the group, I think the 26th one is full. So 28th we're going. And we'll be there till the first few days of January, about January 4th or 5th. Alhamdulillah, my teacher, Mona Abedullah from Pakistan, also will be joining. So we'll be having daily dhikr sessions, daily talks, morning and evening. Inshallah, will be very spiritually uplifting and an opportunity for people to truly make a huge change within their lives in that blessed lands so I encourage people who, who, are, who, are, who are available to come to try your best to join us inshallah um, <clears throat> how do I tell my non-Muslim parents I will not convert back to Christianity and they keep asking me to come back to church I don't want to give them hope may Allah strengthen you may Allah guide your parents and, uh, towards Islam Amin Rabbil Alameen I think um, you have a valid point you don't want to give them hope but your it's natural for them to feel like this. So don't get irritated or annoyed. For them, it's just like the biggest blasphemy that has happened in front of them. They can't believe it. So for them to feel like that is natural. And you can just smile and say, Alhamdulillah, I'm at peace with my faith. Um, and just keep up your, your good, great character with them. Keep on making lots and lots of dua for them. And one day, inshallah, you know, hopefully Allah will open up the doors for them uh, to find deen as well. Okay, if you think someone recently married has been divorced, is it okay to ask if he got divorced in order to make dua or will that be considered nosy? Well, you can ask someone else who's close or you can, you can not have to say, if you think they got divorced and you're close to them, then you can simply, and you don't have to even ask. You can simply say, Ya Allah, whatever marital issues that they may be going through, Ya Allah, ease them. You don't have to ask to be able to make dua since when has asking been necessary to make dua? Right? It's really tiring to get up for Fajr. What to do to make it easy? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, from amongst the many things is that a person obviously, obviously needs to sleep early. So surfing till 1, 2 a.m. doesn't help. Number two, uh, put on multiple alarms 
on multiple phones and put some phones farther away from you. Right? So that you have to wake up and make it something super duper annoying that will force you to wake up. Uh, if you're sleeping in a comfortable bed, then you know, maybe sleep on the floor. Sleep on a hardwood floor. Change that if that doesn't even work. Drink lots of water so that there's a need to use the bathroom. Right? So these are asbab. Then tell someone else in the family or your group of friends to make sure that they not only call but make a, uh, you know, a carpool that you'll wake each other up and come and pick each other up for Salat al-Fajr. When you have someone outside your house waiting for you to wake up, inshallah, that will really force you to wake up. Okay? Additionally, uh, there are ayats to read. Last ayats of Surah Al-Kahf that has been shared with me to be of benefit. Last ayat of Surah Al-Kahf. That's one ayah. Similarly, Till there. This is in Surah Araf. Right? Surah Araf. Ayah number 187. Ayah number 187. Ayah number 187. Surah number 7. This also very beneficial for waking up at a certain time. Then read all your du'as before you go to bed. Sleep in the state of wudu. Make firm resolve to wake up. Read you, when you read your قُلْ عَوْضِ الْفَلَقُ قُلْ الْفَلَقُ Blow on your hands, wipe your body. Make niya, ya Allah, those shayateen that tie knots, as mentioned in hadith. Those shayateen that tie knots on my, on my head, that do not allow me to wake up for fajr. Through the barakah of this, ya Allah, loosen those knots. So these are, inshallah, some beneficial things that you can do. If co-workers at work are pro-Israel, should I speak out or stay silent to avoid issues at work? I think I've tried to answer that earlier today. Way more than that. But the fact that yeah, there's no point, that's not the most important thing to be discussing. You see, I got to stand up for justice. But how does this work right now? If, that, if you, yani you convincing or fighting with one co-worker doesn't change the situation over there. Will a person who really desires to be close to Allah and sheds a lot of tears out of the fear of Allah yet still cannot pray his five salah be sinful? So if he repents every single day and every single day says, I'm going to change, but he's in his repentance, he is absolutely sincere. And he has a full resolve not to go back to that sin, then inshallah, that is definitely beneficial. Uh, and will I say, will he be forgiven? Of course, uh, yani that's in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If he's, if, when you say repentance is sincere, that means you say 100%, I will not miss prayers tomorrow. I promise, I promise, I promise, never, I'm not going to miss prayers tomorrow. And you make that, first resol- make that f- firm resolve, it's forgiven. And then it just so happens the next day you miss it. That's another sin. But then he seeks forgiveness from it with the firm resolve not to miss it again, like that. But if a person is, when he's seeking forgiveness already, he knows, I'm probably going to make it three tomorrow, but not two. Two of them are going to miss it. Then that's not sincere tawbah. So we have to, brother or sister, you need to figure out why can't you not pray? Like what exactly is the issue that's coming about that you're not able to pray? When Musa salam was exposed as the one who had killed, was it done by the Qibti or Israeli? We don't know that details. I said it could possibly be uh, the one who survived the first day was obviously the Qibti, um, Israeli, right? So he's the one, the Qibti was dead. So the Israeli is the one who spread, initially started spreading the news and then eventually others probably found out. 
Is it better to study abroad or study locally in madrasas in America? Good question. I think there is benefit in both. When it comes to your initial studies, I think it's beneficial to study locally by people who can help relate whatever you're studying with the everyday life that you are living. And by teachers who know exactly what the shaitans are of this country and the nafs that you're dealing with. When you, when you study elsewhere, they have maybe no idea of what you just left. What are the things that you're actually not even left, what you're connected with. So I think studying here by people who are born and raised here and who are aware of the, our culture helps um, in dealing with our issues. Like you say, they say for every area, you should to treat the allergies, eat the honey of that same area. Similarly, the, uh, the, allerg- the, 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 the virus of this area will be more than likely treated by the antidote and the vaccine of this area. But traveling abroad is very beautiful. Because when you sit in the suhbah and the companionship of senior ulama, that's priceless. But in order to benefit from the company of the senior ulama, you have to become something yourself first. And so that's where uh, I think studying locally is important before you study abroad. The mujahada and the sacrifice of studying abroad is very necessary. Not having water for 12 hours, you know, just uh, uh, difficulty with the food situation, difficulty with healthcare, difficulty with all that. It's good to learn, to go through that hardship. Ilm is very, uh, it grows in hardship. It grows in hardship. But someone may not be ready immediately to go through that. How can a person study or do anything in general if they're facing task paralysis? Task paralysis, I'm guessing it means that you're just not able to do anything. So if this is a, a, a psychological issue, then you get your therapist. If this is a psychiatric issue, get your uh, you know, psychiatrist involved. And if this is a more of a waswasa issue, then utilize your dhikr, la hawla la quwwata illa billah, your wudu, your ruqya, listening to it, reciting ruqya. Inshallah, tabarak wa ta'ala, with Allah's grace, reading Allah minna na'udhu bil hammi wal hazan wa al adzi wal kasal. I seek refuge in you from incapacity, adz, from being incapable, kasal, and from laziness. Can nikah over the Zoom phone be valid? Uh, if this is done where there is in the, in where the um, marriage, nikah is taking place, there needs to be one representative, wakil, of the other person present in that same gathering. So if I'm here, or say I'm the qadi, for example, the boy is here and the girl's representative is present here, then that's fine. What are some practical religious and spiritual ways to prevent feeling hopeless of Gaza, hopelessness about Gaza? Studying the seerah of the Prophet and seeing the difficulties that the Sahaba went through, reading Hayat al-Sahaba, the, the lives of the Sahaba, what type of difficulties happening, reading the, the fitnas of, of, of what the Muslim Ummah has gone through, including the fitna of Tartars. Like what did the Tartars do in Baghdad and how they ruined a whole Islamic, uh, not just killed millions, but actually completely destroyed culture and knowledge and libraries, culture, heritage, every, arts, of course, every single thing. And to see how Islam grew right after all of that. To also focus on the fact that every single one of these people, they are going straight, straight, straight to Jannah. This, inshallah, this, we have full yaqeen in that. The fact that we don't know how we're going to walk out of this house to masjid today. We don't know where we're going to be tomorrow. But these people are dying on iman. And inshallah tabarak wa ta'ala, uh, they are, bidhillahi ta'ala, tomorrow on the day of judgment, more than ever before, we are going to be feeling enviable, envious of their lot.
we are going to be feeling what? Envious of their lot. So Alhamdulillah, we covered a lot. There's still, I know, a lot more. MashaAllah, I'll reward you all for asking. And we'll, we will hopefully get to them next week. SubhanAllah, bihamdi, subhanakallah, bihamdi, inshallah, ilaha illa, astaghfirullah, tubilik. Let's um, make dua. A few minutes of dhikr actually, or no. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam La ilaha illallah 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 لا إله إلا الله 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 محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم صلى الله على محمد 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 صلى الله 
اللہ علیہ وسلم صلی اللہ علی محمد صلی 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 اللہ علیہ وسلم استغفر اللہ 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 الذي لا الہ الا هو الحی القیوم واتوب الیہ Many of you have heard one of our uh, students here at the Dawaslam Tahfid program, his, his father and of two of our female teachers, their father, as well as the father-in-law of two of our teachers. Uh, SubhanAllah, Brother Sabir, he passed away this week on the way back from South America. He was in Khuruj in the path of Allah Azza wa Jal. And a few hours before landing in the United States, he passed away in the airplane. And uh, his janazah is tomorrow in Cancun, in Mexico. There's, uh, alhamdulillah, a good group of brothers going from here to attend the janazah. Uh, but um, you know he was someone very dear to us as, as a family also and to hundreds and thousands of Chicagoans who he knew through his decades of effort and da'wah and tabligh here in this, in this city and across the country and notice how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took him in the path of Allah the way you live is the way you die and so he passed away coming back from South America in Khuruj subhanAllah and his daughters were, uh, are set to get married subhanAllah uh, 10 days from now two of his daughters two who are teachers here to two um, ulama who are also you know teachers here so this is a, a loss for the, you know not just for the whole general Chicagoland community but also specifically for our Dawah Islam community so let us inshallah um, pray uh, to, uh, regularly for his forgiveness and um, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to elevate his status and allow us to be inspired by the life he led and allow us to f- follow in his footsteps and inshallah Allah azza wa jal that to take care of his children because his wife had passed away earlier about 10 years ago, 8 years ago so uh, may Allah Azza take care of his four children and, um, and his extended family also so it's a time for us to inshallah make dua for them, bismillahirrahmanirrahim Allahumma anta salamu alaikum salamu alaikum salamu alaikum salamu alaikum Allahumma alaikum alhamdulillah wa alaikum shukur kullu Allahumma ala nusithna ala alaikum antikum afsinita ala nafsik اللهم يا حي يا قيوم يا أحد الصمد الذي لم يرد ولم يولد ولم يكن له كوفا أحد ظلمنا أنفسنا ولم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكون من الخاسرين اللهم لك الحمد حمدا دائما مع دوامك ولك الحمد حمدا خالدا مع خلودك ولك الحمد حمدا حتى ترضى ولك الحمد حمدا إذا رضيت يا إله العالمين يا رب العالمين يا إله العالمين يا رب العالمين اللهم ناصر التقوى والتقى والعفاف والغنى اللهم إنك عفو كريم تحب العفاف عنا ربنا ظلمنا أنفسنا ولم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكون من الخاسرين اللهم ربنا آتينا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا عذاب 
النار اللهم ربنا تقبل منا إنك أنت السميع العليم وتب علينا إنك أنت ثواب الرحيم اللهم ربنا لا تجعلنا فتنة للقوم الظالمين ونجنا برحمتك من القوم الكافرين رب يغفر ورحم وتجاوز عما تعلم إنك أنت العز الأكرم اللهم رب الحمد كما ربياني صغيرة لا إله إلا أن سبحانك إني كنت من الظالمين اللهم أصلح لنا ديننا الذي وعصمة أمرنا وأصلح لنا دنيانا الذي فيها معاشنا وأصلح لنا آخرتنا التي فيها معادنا واجعل الحياة زيادة لنا في كل خير واجعل الموت راحة لنا من كل شر اللهم في الحينا وميتنا وشاهدنا وغائبنا وصغيرنا وكبيرنا وذكرنا ونثنا اللهم نحيته من نفاحي على الإسلام ومن توفيته منا فتوفوا على الإيمان اللهم اغفر لهم ورحمهم وعفو عنهم وادخل من الجنة ونقي من الذنوب كما ينقى الثوب الأبيض من الدنس اللهم اشفي مرضانا مرض المسلمين واشفيهم شفاء كاملا دائما عاجل مستمرة نسأل الله العظيم رب العرش العظيم أن يشفي مرضانا مرض المسلمين نسأل الله العظيم رب العرش العظيم أن يشفي مرضانا مرض المسلمين نسأل الله العظيم رب العرش العظيم أن يشفي مرضانا مرض المسلمين اللهم يا حي يا قيوم من نسألك علما نافعا ورزقا واسعا وشفاء من كل ذا اللهم نسألك رضاك والجنة وما قرب إليه من قول أو عمل ونعوذ من سخطك والنار ما قرب إليه من قول أو عمل والله we ask you to accept whatever has been shared and said and Allah whatever we heard and whatever we said Allah make it easy for everyone of us to put the good of it into practice and allow us to propagate it as well Allah grant us all tawfiq 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 and to be able to lead a life that is pleasing to you that is in the footsteps of our beloved Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Allah turn the direction of our heart towards you Allah away from everything else besides you Allah allow our minds to be focused on how to uh, focus on how to earn your pleasure Allah Allah allow our whole body to be able to be a walking Quran and sunnah Allah Allah allow our, our relationships with each other especially at home between our parents and our children between spouses and parents and kids Allah allow all these relationships between siblings all of them to improve Allah Allah allow us to conquer over our nafs and, sh- and the shaitan oh Allah and allow us to, to, to fulfill each other's rights and allow us to go beyond that and do ihsan towards one another oh Allah allow us to fulfill the rights of all those who have a right upon us Ya Allah Oh Allah, we ask you to grant us all ilm of deen. Allow us to practice in the ilm of deen. Allow us to keep our tongues moist in remembrance. Allow our hearts to be beating with your love oh, and beating with the kalima in our heart. Oh Allah, we ask you to grant us all the ability to perform salah with concentration and devotion, to make dua with concentration and devotion, recite Quran with concentration and devotion. Make us amongst those, Ya Allah, who are steadfast in our a'mal. Make us amongst those who are steadfast in our deeni a'mal. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask you to allow every day of ours to become better than the previous one. Oh Allah, grant us all halal risk. Grant us all halal sustenance. Oh Allah, put barakah in it, put barakah in it, Oh Allah, remove uh, difficulty in our risk from us, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, remove and then close the doors of any and all types of haram, eating, drinking, sleeping, thinking, you know, walking towards uh, and, and, and touching and engaging, earning and spending. Oh Allah, in thinking, in any and all aspects of haram, close the doors of haram, open up the doors of halal for all of us, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, grant us all a life of haya, a life of chastity, a life of taqwa, a life of tahara, a life of piety, righteousness, and, and, and Ya Allah, love of deen. And Ya Allah, Ya Allah, fear of your punishment and, and hope and great hope of your, of your great rewards, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, to protect, uh, protect all of our health and our wealth and our iman and our children uh, from, uh, from, from, from being attacked, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, protect us from losing our deen, protect our children from losing the deen. Oh Allah, wherever the ummah, especially our brothers and sisters of Palestine and across the globe are going through a difficulty, we ask you, Ya Allah, from your infinite treasures, infinite powers, Oh Allah, we ask you to descend, allow your, uh, your special mercy to descend, allow your special mercy to descend, allow your invisible uh, so, uh, soldiers of your to descend. O oh Allah, grant, grant all the innocent brothers and sisters of ours, Ya Allah, your special, special protection, Ya Allah. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, allow their pleas in Christ to reach the throne of yours. Allow it to shake the throne, Ya Allah. Allow millions and billions
millions of angels who are waiting to, to respond, allow them all to respond. Give them permission to respond. Give the earth to permission to respond. Give the seas, the ocean to respond. Allah, give the wind and the air and the forces of nature the permission to respond. Give the animals of the jungle force the permission to respond. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask you, allow your, allow your army, the hidden army of yours that is 100% control of every single thing. Allow them to come into action, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, we ask you to help, help Ya Allah, our brothers and sisters, wherever they're going through, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, through their pleas and through their cries, allow the ummah, the sleeping ummah to wake up. Allow the sleeping ummah to wake up. Allow the sleeping ummah to wake up. Allow us to wake up. Allow us to wake up. Allow us to become more punctual in the masjid. Allow us to be more punctual in Quran and Sunnah. Allow us to be more punctual in dhikr and our dua. Allow us to be more punctual in praying salah with jama'ah. Allow us to be more punctual in our duas. Allow us to be more punctual in our in our sadaqah, in our charity. Ya Allah, allow their duas to reach us, Ya Allah. Through their barakah of their duas, it bring a huge massive change within all of us as well, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah. The grand Sabir Bhai and all those from the Ummah have passed away. Ya Allah, Jannatul Firdaus. And O Allah, allow him to, die, to enjoy a death of a shaheed and raise him as a shaheed. Allow his death to be a death in the one who is in, the, in your path. Ya Allah, I have a beautiful palace to be built from his home to the place where he passed away. O Allah, in Jannah. And allow him to be reunited with his wife in Jannah, Ya Allah. O Allah, we ask you, Allah, grant Sabr Jameel and patience to his children and grant them your special inaya, protection, and care. O oh Allah, in any and all difficulties that may be facing them, Ya Allah, through the f- sacrifice of their, of their parents, we ask you to make their, this worldly life easy for them and the life of the hereafter even more enjoyable, Ya Allah. O oh Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, all those who are going through difficulty of any sorts, emotional, spiritual, financial, mental difficulty, we ask you to remove their difficulties, make it easy for them, Ya Allah. Allah, our students who are, who are preparing for their, their semester exams, allow them to have the ability to prepare hard and prepare strong and prepare properly and allow each and every one of them to, Ya Allah, p- uh, pass with flying colors. Especially our students who are always doing khidmah, our, t- our team Tafsir and Team Fajr group of students, Ya Allah, who are serving the masjid, who are serving the community by, by, by Ya Allah, spending hours in serving our community, Ya Allah. We ask you to put barakah in their time, put barakah in their ilm, put barakah in their amal, and reward them immensely for any and all khidmah that our boys and girls do, Ya Allah, for the community and for the madrasa, Ya Allah. O oh Allah, and allow that khidmah to become a means of great reward for them as well as great barakah in their ilm and amal, Ya Allah. O oh Allah, we ask you, grant us all the khid and the good that, you, that the Prophet Ali asked you of. Grant us, seek, we seek your protection from all the evil that the Prophet سأعرف رفيجيني فرام سبحان ربك رب العزة يا ماسفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله تعالى على خير خير محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته.